0: Really quickly, a note about our schedule going forward. One of the reasons we blitz through season one and season two is to get us to this point right here where hopefully, if we've done our math right and we've read the adult tea the adult swim tea leaves correctly, we can do one episode for season three each week and arrive right at the point that season four premieres in November. Now that's based on the assumption. That Rick and Morty season four will debut at the week after Adult Swim Fest, where they'll have an exclusive premiere of the first episode. Adult Swim Fest is in November uh, on the fifteenth and sixteenth. By the way, tickets still available. Uh, link in the co- uh, in the show notes. If that's wrong, then we're wrong. There might be an awkward stretch where it comes out a week or two early or late, uh, but uh, we'll we'll manage it somehow. We'll throw in a feedback episode or or uh, t- the top top five Rick and Morty highlights. We'll we'll do something with it. Uh, Point is that we're now serving as the officially unofficial countdown to Rick and Morty season four. Probably should have said this at the end of season two, but uh, when you're recording two of these a day for a couple weeks in advance, you kind of forget a few things. Uh, One of the cool things about slowing down a bit is that we're adding some new voices to the podcast. In the weeks ahead, we'll have Jonah Ray, one of the resident riffers of the Netflix Mystery Science Theater 3000 revival. Red versus Blues, own Gustavo Cerola, TV critic extraordinaire Alan Sepinwall, just to name a few. It's like when Summer joins an adventure, it just kicks things up into higher notch gears. And we've only booked Summers. There's no Jerry's. We didn't, didn't no no Jerries allowed in the podcast. It's all all Summers. So just so everyone's clear on it, we're down to one episode a week leading up to season four. We got some super cool guests joining to share their love of Rick and Morty with us all. Probably going to have some news and updates, especially as we get closer to the season four air date and maybe some other fun surprises along the way. And of course, maybe fun surprises, all subjective terms not applicable to all dimensions.
1: Welcome to Pickle Me This, the officially unofficial podcast for Rick and Morty on Cartoon Network's Adult Swim. I'm your host, Jim. And I'm Aaron. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today we're covering Season 3, Episode 1, The Rickshank Redemption. Rick Here's Aaron with the recap. Rick is
0: still in Federation custody as a result of him turning himself in last season. The feds haven't been idle. They've been busy pumping Rick's brain for all the many powerful secrets it contains, utilizing sophisticated technology that is slowly melting his mind. The Council of Ricks has been alerted to this potential breach of security and have dispatched a highly trained team of Ricks to assimilate him while in Federation's hands, which means exactly one thing. Rick has everyone where he wants them. With the quote unquote help of Summer and Morty, Rick escapes prison, teleports the Citadel of Ricks inside a Federation stronghold, destroys the galactic economy, and exiles Jerry from the Smith family, all to place him closer to his ultimate goal to get his hands on the discontinued McNugget szechuan sauce from McDonald's promotional tie in of the 1998 animated movie Milan. Jim, what did you think of the Rickshank Redemption? <laughs> are
1: you speaking crombopulous michael here just
0: just saying that almost shanked me (laughs) like i got a
1: verbal shanking just right to my throat (laughs) Uh, i thought it was great like this is a way to start off a season man you you have this two-parter very very like star trek next generation style i know you're a big fan uh i am the the two-parter that spans the gap of the season break uh really gets you prepared and i think ultimately like more importantly, gives them time to really figure out how the hell they're going to get themselves out of the situation they wrote themselves into. Yeah. And it's great here because, like, at right up front at the beginning, you think, oh, shit, they didn't figure this out, and they just skipped it. Like, they're really fucking with the audience for a good two minutes at the beginning, mm-hmm. telling us how great it would, how great the adventure was, and uh, but it doesn't compare to being at Shoney's with his family. And that all turns out to be bullshit. It's so good. It's so good.
0: Yeah, it's, I mean... If I the one thing you get in these commentaries is the you know the guys and gals writing this just really sweat and and are are fearful that they will not you know live up to the expectations set by previous seasons and. You know, you see an episode like this, and it's like you just see all the sweat. Like, there's so like the central idea itself is clever enough to sustain like a prestige drama, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like this is a uh, this this is intricate plotting worthy of the best you see on television, and then just a multiple layered, nuanced jokes and just. You know, not just like the the big stuff, but like the dead flies that like Summer uh-huh. is just trying to like as a joke. Like this is something. Turns out that's his security system. It's yeah. so fucking brilliant. And, and Jerry gets blamed for having moved them, even though it was Summer. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's all good. And there's this stuff in the background where it's like you know casually, oh, right there between your memories of where you were on nine eleven and your favorite sports blooper, and then the sports <laughs> blooper pay, plays out in real time, and then you see Rick having like. Oh shit! Rick's having a human reaction to 9/11, but you can overhear him just ranting and raving about the political ramifications of it. it it's it's great. You uh, mm-hmm. know, him rapidly taking commandeering people's bodies and just taking time to regret not being able to test drive an alien dick. I, I it, it it succeeds in in both ways both big and broad and very narrow and specific and it is the perfect and and you can't discuss this episode without the like context around it which is Mm -hmm. people were hounding dan night and day about when rick and morty was going to be released and then on one april fool's day he just picked one of this out of the sea of twitter trolls and said what if it's today huh how about is that soon enough and they released (laughs) it as a anti april fools joke
1: yeah i i mean i don't want to get too far into the commentary talk but it seemed like this was an adult swim idea yeah uh the, the dan was maybe against but then he sure. realized later oh actually that was a great idea
0: um and it did seem to like kick everyone into overdrive like yeah. this show was always popular but like season three it definitely took the leap into the stratosphere and mm-hmm. that part of this marketing which is just like this fully formed thing it's released you can watch it now and now who knows when you get another hit just had people you know riot. like literally by the end of this this sequence of marketing it led to rioting in mcdonald's over sejuan uh-huh. sauce in real life like that's how fucking crazy uh passions got over the show yeah and the sejuan came back yeah. because of it yeah yeah to everyone everyone's chagrin
1: uh-huh do you, do
0: you shall we shall we talk about this episode? Because there's a lot to unpack. Where do you want to begin with, Jim?
1: Uh, I mean, I mean, I could begin at the beginning. I I really liked what they were doing here, kind of fucking with the audience. Um, not not only in the idea that like they wouldn't have shown, you know, the epic escape, but that it was so epic, it was so amazing. Yeah. And yet here we are sitting, drinking coffee, and eating pancakes. Uh huh. Which is the exact opposite of exciting. <laughs> uh i really love that they kind of start out with that that it really just jab at the audience
0: and i gotta say i remember vividly thinking that like i was doing the mental math like this is horseshit uh-huh. but <laughs> this show has got enough trolly dna and big enough balls uh-huh. that i'm actually i'm actually and as i was processing that then jerry gets up and folds himself uh-huh. you know six times or whatever but yeah like because that's the thing this show is it's kind of like the same way game of thrones until the very end you every time someone was near death it was a scary experience like mm-hmm. rick and morty's the type of show that just might you know what fuck it it, it was amazing now we're going to go on and do the next thing and you, they could get i think they could get away with it
1: yeah i think so but it would have disappointed a lot of people as yeah, well yeah. um and then nathan fillion shows up right and i really love nathan fillion's acting in this he does a great Rick impression uh later in the episode yeah like when Uh, Nathan Fillion opens his mouth quote so to speak
0: in this episode my uh you know mandibles did that kind of like excited chittering uh because it's just like god damn every (laughs) every time he pops up in something I love it's 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 a nice nice occasion
1: And, and the introduction scene where he sits down with Rick is hilarious to me the just the concept that not only could Rick manifest these butts in this coffee cup but that he would like he's the smartest being in the universe and he's playing this ridiculous joke on this guy. And also I think there's part of it. And it's just so juvenile.
0: I I love it. Part of it in the Nathan Fillion insects. mind has got to be like, (laughs) and he's laughing at it. Is this, Uh is this actually straight up or is this part of the psychological warfare that he's doing? Yeah. It's because you don't like, is he this simple minded on a fart joke or is this some kind of next level Gamesmanship. He's trying.
1: I think everything we've seen from Rick tells us that he loves a good crude juvenile joke. Right. Like I mean, he's ripping farts left and right at at the end as as punchlines. You know.
0: Right. And and the fact that people want to like th- that uses dizzying intellect as a way to try to skewer him and like, come now, Rick. I thought you were. <laughs> Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you thought, oh, you thought, did you? Well, here's another butt. That'll uh, teach you to think. Yeah, beefing, beefing right in your face. Like, uh-huh. the, I, I'm sure that, yes, he does have a juvenile sense of humor, and it's just like a side effect that it's also like weapons-grade psychological warfare. Too. Right, right.
1: Uh, and I think the art is really cool in this, too, because when we're in this brain brainalyzer construct kind of thing, we get sort of a neural network, very brainy-looking sky in mm-hmm. the background. I thought mm-hmm. that was a nice touch. Yeah. Uh, just kind of the way that everything, you know, folds in and out of space. Uh, very inventive. Very yeah. creative. Yeah. Probably
0: kept the animators pulling their hair out alongside mm-hmm. the, the writer's room. Um, I thought it was some interesting family dynamics that were kind of on display. It seems to me that, like, in the absence of Rick what they were suggesting is that Beth has transferred this kind of like excuse making or caretaking over to Jerry because the kids are kind of like being critical of like this bullshit scenario that everyone's found them in. And, and, you know, Beth is like, well, your father's pulling down a six chewable figure salary, uh, even though no one knows what he does. Like it feels like that she, the same way that she wouldn't hear of anyone talking bad about Rick. She's kind of doing that with Jerry. Mm -hmm. Is that kind of like, yeah, and,
1: and then it immediately switches back when Rick shows back up, right?
0: Yeah. Is that like some kind of like learned behavior that she saw with her dynamic between her dad and her mom? Or like, I I, I just... Yeah, I, my,
1: my only reading on it is that she's back under Rick's spell. Like, Rick, there's this... She's blinded by the love for her father um, to see sort of how destructive Rick has been on the family.
2: Yeah. And, and when he's
1: back in her life, that just takes over again. It's a pattern she falls back into. Well, I mean... you're not wrong.
0: It does seem like it's a pattern as we discussed, but there's also like, you know, I don't think she's a fully irrational being because Rick engineered the situation precisely to make him look like fucking John McClane at the end of a diehard movie. Mm -hmm. Like at the end of the diehard movie where his wife who has a million reasons to divorce him because John McClane is kind of a fucking asshole gets moony eyed and moist because, you know, he just single-handedly took down a terrorist regime right mm-hmm. and like you know like the the mother-in-law f- flying in from the screen being like how are, why are you taking this guy back well he's, <laughs> he's not in that movie he she is in this particular show in the form of jerry he comes flying yeah. in like uh yeah your dad might have single-handedly drove off these alien oppressors but he's back <laughs> and i'm putting my foot down he just looks like such an
1: asshole in this in this case it's like if if there was Szechuan sauce in the safe in Die Hard. Yeah. <laughs> and it turns out Bruce Willis was actually just after that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that he, had, he, had, that he had engineered the entire situation yeah. with Hans and murdered all these so people. They just so they would open the safe and he could get the he sauce. He could get yeah. the sauce, right, uh, as he's being hailed as a hero. I mm-hmm. mean, and that's the way that Rick plays the psychology where, like, he is the model citizen when Jerry, you know, I'm putting my foot down. And he's like, oh, well, you guys seem like you have to – it's so <laughs> fucking snake in the grass, man. Yeah. And then genuinely horrifying the stuff he says at the end. Um, you know, about how all of this, like it 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 starts off horrifying that I've displaced your father because he crossed me. And mm-hmm. I also destroyed the legi- the government of the universe and I also destroyed the anti-government of the universe and that's pretty horrifying but then it's all about the sejuan sauce it is yeah although again is this literally true because this is a comedy cartoon right right
1: and it's also during a rant where he says nine nine more seasons morty nine nine more seasons 97 years and and i did the math and i'm like man you thought a two-year break between seasons was bad yeah 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 Nine seasons in ninety-seven years. They'll is be not making even this in the centennial of the United States oh, being celebrated. Right. Um, I, so, so yeah, who who knows? Really, like I, I don't think it's all about the sauce. I don't think Rick cares that much about the sauce, though. I do think he would try and separate Jerry from this family because he clearly cares far more about his daughter and his grandchildren than he does Jerry. See, I think the Szechuan sauce is a cover story. Yeah, like it's 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 just I
0: can't be real because I just tried that l- the end of last season and it led to my entire life being upended. Mm-hmm. So this is some kind of fucked up thing. I can tell as a co- cover story. So I don't have to deal with the fact that I love my
1: family. Yeah, it's a good point.
0: Why are on the subject of uh, Rick love and his family uh, perennial topic is, you know, like h- how genuine is this? How surface level, how, how is it different from other Rick's? Um, so we, Ordinarily, we would say we got a lot of information into into Rick's inner workings, but it was all presented as if it was a false memory and an engineered escape plan from Rick. What of, you know... A different, you know, be, uh, infinite Ricks versus a different kind of Rick, you know, the, versus the, uh, the the love he has for his daughter and family. How much of that stuff is actual, real, the the story of the, the portal gun? How much of it is actually real and how much of it is completely made up? Because I don't think it's 100% made up. No? Hmm. Well, I mean, doesn't it stand to reason there has to be a, like, not all Ricks will invent portal gun technology simultaneously? Mm-hmm. So, like, that element of, like, you know, this slightly punk rock uh, uh, mullet-wearing Rick coming back and explaining the fact that you're about to invent Portal Gun, but
1: we've done it five minutes sooner. Like, that stuff seems real. I suppose it could be. I, I just, I really don't have a way to tell. Mm.
0: I was just thinking that cuz like if you go that thought experiment of like it it seems reasonably true that like if an infinite number of Ricks invent portal gun they're going to do it on some kind of like you know bell curve of mm. of when they do it and then they they like the ones that invented first would start reconnecting the Ricks that refuse the call to this particular type of adventure it does feel like the other Ricks are vindictive enough that they like well this doesn't this doesn't fit in our idea of what a rick is, so we should try to sterilize it or something so I, I'm like, yeah, I'm trying to like what is this what what is there anything that we can like put together that everything else we know about the universe to say,
1: yeah, so in an infinite uh series of ricks, yeah, wouldn't it stand to reason that you that the ricks who are going around blowing up the ricks who don't invent the portal gun technology or won't invent mm-hmm. it? Would be doing that forever hmm do, uh, yeah do they have like some kind of uh
0: prime directive where it's like they can only contact a rick when he's 15 minutes away from because you're right, right the, the, I, the, it, the, the the bad end of that bell curve is pretty fucking far out like maybe some Rick's it's all the just, way out yeah They like, they live their natural infinite. life and die without inventing the portal gun
1: yeah, I would assume they're yeah. like Doc
0: Brown. The
1: vast majority of them probably
0: do. Yeah, like they may, may might have the idea for the flux capacitor in 1955, but yeah, they just never they they hit their head on the toilet and died. That's right. <laughs> like... Yeah, there's an infinite number of <laughs> or... dead Doc Doc Browns on on the toilet. I wish we had an economist on that I could because I would I actually would like to know what the impact of changing. Like if you could actually like forget about the relative possibility, if there's some way you could take mm-hmm. like the U.S. dollar and and change it to zero at some place that it mattered, like how long would it take to undo that devastation? Because I read his book. The, We're the,
1: about to find out with Brexit. Is are we? <laughs> yeah, the No Deal Brexit that'll change the the yeah the pound to zero to zero. Okay, all right. Well then then we'll see that experience because I've
0: <laughs> always wondered. Um, I mean, it's been the plot of some. It wasn't that the plot of the last Batman. I know it was a, a Tom Probably. Clancy novel where like essentially they deleted the stock exchange or oh, like, yeah, like yeah. bollocks up the record so no one could tell what trades actually happened. And Yeah,
1: it's like a Mr. Robot thing, right? Yeah, and it, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like one of those
0: things, it's like what does that actually do? Because, you know, money is not as fictional as people want to make. It's, it, it represents something. Sure. But on the other hand, you can make it all go away and like the factories and the infrastructure and the labor force, all that stuff is, remains in, in impacted. But it seems like...
1: Yeah, uh, I really think it's the greed... Um, of the Federation that undoes them yeah. in this episode because like you're right when they change it to zero they still have everything they had before they simply don't have a good way to value it right and yeah. so people could continue to do things the way they've done before and just have this agreement that they're uh-huh. working upon uh-huh. but they don't because they're greedy like who the, who's paying me for this if nobody's paying me I'm not doing it fuck it there's a reprise of the end
0: of the um, uh- Look who's purging now, kind of. You know, I'll do that, but for more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh.
1: And then also their greed leads them in the first place to let Rick Sanchez escape. If they keep him in solitary, if they don't want his portal gun tag, if they're yeah. not so greedy that they need to get it from him and take him out and put him in the brainalyzer, none of this happens. Right. So really, it's the greed that undoes them.
0: I like how the in 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 lieu of a stable galactic currency, everyone picks pants. As the, the going currency. <laughs> currency, yeah. Who controls the pants controls the the universe, which
1: is rough too, because they're stealing the pants off of people who only have one uh, uh, one joint in their legs. Oof. I don't know if pants tailored for humans work with the Federation. Yeah, and how do you value like a three leg
0: pant versus a two leg or a one leg or mm-hmm. you know if what if a, a species rolls around on a ball, they just wear c- like giant skirts.
1: Yeah, not pants.
0: Our skirts like the dimes to the pants dollar. <laughs> like the pennies nobody uses them, but yeah. they still exist for some reason. Yeah. Well, obviously the people with the giant pile sitting on the giant piles of pants will sort this out because, you know, yeah. they 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 have an incentive to. And then they're a higher station of life cuz they're literally sitting on a giant pile of pants. You know, <laughs> higher obviously off the that's just not yeah. some random luck that occurred they're, they're they're they're
1: robber barons of pants and they should be listened to. I do love when all hell breaks loose in the society that apparently Mr. Goldenfold has been <laughs> leading a yeah. literal underground rebellion. Yeah, yes. against the federation the whole time. Yeah, I, I, I
0: love that of everyone in town Mr. Goldenfold is the uh, he's the brave heart uh-huh. of, of humanity. <laughs> he's the he's the, the president from Independence Day. Uh, he's 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 amazing.
1: Oh, and the other thing with this is that's escape. canon. He's he's a revolutionary fighter. Revolutionary war hero. I mean, certainly in that universe, that version of Mister Goldenfold. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about is Rick's body. Rick's body is dead. His original body is murdered by him. And they have this throwaway line of
0: like, "Your insect mind is not big enough to hold my entire intellect." So <laughs> like, and I, they pay that joke off immediately with him saying, "Oh, goddamn it!" I've because he forgot his six years of improv training, uh-huh. and he said, oh, "I kid, I forgot how to improvise." Um, that is, I thought that was a really wild, high, uh, hard sci-fi concept that I wish it was taken a little bit more seriously. Because, mm-hmm. like, man, that's like a fucking Ray Bradbury short novel. Like, hey, you can get in, you get uh, uh, uploaded this uh, robot body, but oh, it's like when you get a new iPhone uh, or you get a new phone and it's 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 the the new one's got less capacity than the old one. It's like, ah, what are you going to lose? You can only we can only hold seventy five percent of you, man. Like here's your choices. Uh your child's birth, mm-hmm. uh, your college degree. Like it, I, I would love to see that. <laughs> you know,
1: Rick, it's just a throwaway. His improv classes. And-, and, and that's the thing. Like, so many of these concepts that Rick and Morty introduces and, and meditates on for a second are like throwaway things, right? But th- but they're also things that could be expanded into an entire episode because they're so meaty. And I it's one of the things I love about Rick and Morty, how it combines all of these different concepts into whatever form they want it to take. Uh,
0: finally, we've got a stinger, uh, that seems like it's one of those that is moving the myth arc forward where we see that, uh, bird person last feared murdered at his own sham wedding to Tammy has actually been reconstructed by Tammy and a team of Federation scientists into the resurrected Phoenix person. Yeah. Ah. uh, I like this idea. I like the idea of Rick having to have a face-off with one of his former friends, like that. You know, um, kind of like a Pen Sylvester moment that actually is earned. You know, because like in the 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 parasite where they're killing all the the parasites, and then they came down to uh, Pen Sylvester, and he's like, "I can't pull wow. the trigger." You know, it's like uh-huh. I actually have that, but that's just a joke because we didn't know Pen Sylvester. Pen Sylvester is just a blah blah blah. Right. Him having to go against Birdperson would be that, but it wouldn't be a joke. Mm-hmm. And I would like to see how how the Rick and Morty team can turn can make that funny, because like they they got these situations that seem like there's just so much pathos, and shit they've they they put this family through a divorce and it's still been funny, you know,
1: but and, funny in a sad divorcey kind of way. And and it's it's kind of a big like that wedding is a big moment in Rick Sanchez's life, right? Yeah, because like, we talked. Um, a little bit about how that's kind of him trying to open up, uh, in that moment. And this is like, could potentially be scarring with the way that all turned out, right. <laughs> you know, more scars on top of the scars. Right. Uh, yeah. To have a showdown with him. I wonder what form that would take. Would it be this emotional thing where he has to make tough decisions or would he simply be so calloused at this point that it wouldn't matter? Well, it'd be interesting. I, here's after you said
0: that the thing that now I'm thinking would be interesting is that if he does callously or cold-bloodedly kill bird person, it would be a stark contrast to how he feels about Morty. Cause we've seen mm, him sacrifice yeah. himself to save Morty's life. Uh-huh. Um, and then like be at peace with that decision. So that would like, it would definitely give, you know, a little bit more juice to the, like Rick really, really cares on some like non vestigial level because, mm-hmm. You know, presumably you know, it's his best friend, takes him out with that question, but he hesitates with his family. Um, and I, I also think just on that topic that this episode is also interesting in that uh, the counsel of Rick's opinion on Rick is kind of like what we've en- emerged in his podcast. that He is unrick Rick like in his affection for his grandkids. Mm-hmm. But it's also hard to rationalize that with the, you know, uh, Hunger Games summer. Uh, the, the Cronenberg family too, that like, right. is it literally
1: just Morty? That doesn't seem right. No, I mean, I think it's an evolution yeah. uh, across the three seasons of this show. That's
0: true, because he's, he's not the
1: same. He's he's changing as a person as well. And Summer's gotten some characterization, you know. She's become a character in her own right, uh, one that Rick cares about as well. Yeah, I mean, she's the one that... Uh, that
0: that's another interesting aspect is that it seemed like that Summer... Was the one that was true blue for Rick, but then Morty reveals at the end that like, nah, I was just trying to protect you. Like, mm-hmm. I was always for, I was always pro Rick as well. But like, you know, it's it's one of those things where, you know, it's like seeing an Eldritch God.
1: <laughs> it's it's all fun and games, so your sanity melts away till <laughs> till your minds are blown. Yeah, r- Morty Morty breaks in this episode, man. That that plot like where Morty has to be incredibly stupid or. Or they have to believe that he's incredibly stupid. Yeah. And the Rick and Summer think so and obviously we know that Morty didn't see the note, uh, based on his tone. He tries to kill Rick. It's not the first time he's tried to kill Rick. Yeah. He did it in Look Who's Purging. Or or well, was like, this does he seem like, like intimated that he would. Yeah. Uh this is a breaking point for Morty. Or just then, ev- yeah, evidence of further and, fracturing.
0: Because yeah, like uh-huh. the the look who's purging was definitely that. Like in retrospect, a, a breaking point, and this is just uh-huh. uh, you know, it, it makes you wonder how next level is Rick? Did Rick was this a blind spot of Rick's, or did Rick count on Morty's newfound murderous rage to be provoked into using this fake pistol on him? Right? I mean, they didn't that's not in the episode, no, it's not. <laughs> uh, and I, I think he
1: assumed he saw the note because he says, Good one.
0: After this short break, we'll have an interview with Mystery Science Theater 3000's Jonah Ray about his connection to Rick and Morty as he tells a cautionary tale about electric scooter rentals. We'll be right back. Head
2: been over. Uh Yeah. Raised up posterior. Sing it with me now. Head been over. Yeah. Raised up posterior. All right.
0: You probably know Jonah as one of the hosts of either the Nerdist or Meltdown podcast and as the only fully human riffer on Mystery Science Theater 3000's revival on Netflix or perhaps his newest project, You Can't Call Me Owl, a Weird Al cover album. It's in its second printing because the first one is sold out. You can properly adore him on Twitter at
3: Jonah Ray. Jonah, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. It's an honor to be here. And by here, I mean not anywhere near you guys in a completely different sound booth. I don't know how many miles away from – I don't even think you guys are in the same room.
1: Uh, I'm thousands of miles away from Aaron, at least emotionally.
3: Yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: like, one of the ways we like to kind of get things started is ask you about your personal experience with Rick and Morty. Like, how did you get turned on to it? Were you like a day one watcher? Did the
3: buzz get to well, you? I- I mean, I I I know I know everyone that works on it. So I have uh, I guess you could say my first um, uh, the first thing I knew about Rick and Morty was probably uh, Doc and Marty, or even before that, House of Cosby's. Uh, I was an avid um, Channel 101 attendee uh, back in the day when they first started. Uh, I, I remember going to the second one, which was at a Thai restaurant in Vine in Hollywood. <laughs> And um, and then I remember checking in every once in a while going every uh, almost every month, and then seeing House of Cosby's, I think was Royland's first thing that I saw that really uh, got me interested in his work. And then uh, right around the time he did uh, Marty and uh, Doc and Marty, me and my friends were trying to think of a cartoon uh, about Doc and Marty living in a sad apartment together where nothing really worked out in the end. and the Libyans lived upstairs from them were always having parties. <laughs> and uh and Marty always was just right about to send in that demo tape to the major labels right uh, and never did um but uh but yeah so I mean I, I then you know um the people you know justin and dan and and mike chillian you know it's uh, I, I was very aware of the uh the development of the show and very excited for it because I like you know i like all those guys and Um, and I got to go to the premiere of the first episode at, uh, Cinespace when they did that. And I remember just kind of being blown away by, I knew I was going to like it, but I didn't know, I didn't know it was going to be that good, Mm. like that solid and that amazing. And that like that with, you know, with, with the type of people working on it. With, and this is a long answer to your uh, question. I apologize. Hey, when uh, we but we, like,
0: we get someone in on day zero, we're we're, we're going to stand back and give them room. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but uh, just the the stuff that we're, you know, um, you know, Royland is uh so absurd and Dan is so um, loves to ground things and make things uh, truly make sense as much as possible and then you know early on you had you know Chilean who's such a, a student of um, of animation and animation jokes which is you know such a visual it's like it's such it's another level of uh, creating comedy and to have all these other all these people kind of coming in on it. Uh, and I'm sure I'm you know, forgetting a ton of names that had like you know a ton of stuff to do with it. But those were the guys I knew uh, before watching it and just seeing how it was just a, a combination of all kinds of great comedy slamming into each other.
1: So after seeing, you know, what Rick and Morty became as it uh, sort of progressed to the first three I mean, I, seasons. I didn't
3: expect that. It, I didn't expect yeah. like I knew it was good, but a lot of shows are good. Right. But what's happened to Rick and Morty is insane. Well, what is it about Rick and it, Morty that draws you to it? i mean it's great jokes great animation great uh great animation sequences um you know great stories um just a, the it's just a, it's just a, like a well rounded show like i said it's uh you know but it's it's one of those things where i really i i would hope that people would like it but i didn't i had no i could have have never assumed or predicted like that it would be you know just bros with their um Bros, with their uh uh, you're getting a call. <laughs> Should I just decline it? I'll just decline it. All right, decline. Nice, nice. But yeah, declined. I would have never assumed that I would have uh, been in a, a like you know, in the middle of the country seeing like a truck with you know Rick and Morty airbrushed on the back tailgate. You know, right. Do you? But have... it's just it's just a, it's just a good solid show.
0: With your kind of like uh, personal experience with the creators and whatnot, you might uh, what what is your like favorite episode? Is it like just like is something you purely enjoy, or is like oh that's so Justin? Or what what is your favorite episode and why? Uh,
3: I mean, there was one that Mikhail did a voice on. Uh, I think it was the it was the, kind of the, the um, Thunderdome, uh, Beyond Thunderdome <laughs> kind of one. The but, thing, you yeah. know what my yeah yeah the, the one thing I think about. When I think about Rick and Morty and I think about the brilliance of it uh, that encapsulates uh, everything I like about it is I think it's in the pilot and it's uh, – and I haven't seen it since it aired. uh, But it's – there's a moment where like a molecule um, um, speeds through the evolution process.
1: Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah.
3: And gains sense, uh, sentience, uh, or, I'm not, I thinking I'm messing with the word, but like gains, like, you know, a thought and a soul almost in front of you, but the lifespan is so accelerated that it just immediately dies.
1: Yeah, how horrifying and it's, that it's is. This,
3: yeah, exactly. And it's this thing that's like really, it really just shows, uh, it's like funny because it's fast paced. It's the animation of it is insane. Just this, that's a lot of work to do to show like a, something kind of you know, developing while everyone's running at the same time and then to have it die. And then to just have that thing of like this moment of I'm alive and then you die. And that is just it's all my favorite things of just uh, heart and soul and animation and nihilism (laughs) of, of Rick and Morty that I really do enjoy. We noticed that when we were kind
0: of, because uh, yeah, I, I was familiar with your work on like Mystery Science Theater and uh, some of your podcasts, but we did some digging and we saw that you're like a punk rocker in your soul from Hawaii. <laughs> and we wondering with, with regard to your personal musical expertise and taste, what do you think of the music on Rick and Morty? And do you have like a favorite favorite
3: song from the show? Um, I mean, anything that, any song from the show that just sounds um like it's just in making it up in the booth is usually the stuff i enjoy the most um like the tv show episodes um swifty. The- uh, yeah yeah it's uh you know it's you know it's funny though i find myself uh always going to um i listen to the uh ali gertz um sad dance songs album a lot uh where she does she does a bunch of uh Rick and Morty uh, songs that she made up, hmm. uh, which is kind of like what I did with that Weird Al thing where she just kind of like was inspired by the show and made songs about it.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Uh, you you have an album that he's, has either just come out or is about to come out called You Can't Call Me Yeah, it Call just Me came out. out a
3: couple of weeks ago. Yeah, You Can't Call Me Al. It's just, uh, you know, I was bored and um, I like making <laughs> little punk tunes and I don't like writing lyrics because I always end up revealing truths about myself that I don't Ooh. really want to know. <laughs> uh, and so I just you know use lyrics I know and usually those are out lyrics and and so I just yeah you know, recorded it with my friends from the band Fidlar and Blood Brothers and and we just kind of uh just and then Asian Man Records uh one of my favorite punk labels like put it out on vinyl and yeah it's it was just like a real kind of fun fluky thing to do uh and and people seem to enjoy it somewhat some people are confused by it which is also just as satisfying
0: it's funny because when Jim told me about the project, I'm like a weirdo cover. What the? And then when I heard uh, like "Welcome to Amish Paradise," I'm like, I get it. You're doing to his work kind of what he did with his polka. Like it, it's, yeah, it's yeah, like the,
1: the Green Day, the indie punk kind of. Yeah. The the video has almost like a Beastie Boys "Fight for Your Right" kind of vibe to it, like house party thing. Thanks. Yeah,
3: yeah. I was just trying to think. I had I, I came up with that within like a like a day or two. Uh, and there's you know there's a a lot of people uh like from the channel 101 scene uh that were in the video uh and that was just one of those things i'm like oh i should make a video how can i make a really simple video and so we just a bunch of us piled into dave lyons's house who was you know an old school channel 101 guy who did yacht rock and whatnot and uh um, oh yeah and, i know, remember was that locations show locations manager <laughs> yeah he was a locations manager on community so it was just very much you know kate freund was there it was just a lot of uh a lot of one-on-oneers and who are, you know, that that's the scene that's responsible for uh, Rick and Morty being a thing. So it was kind of, you know, tangentially, it still works on this podcast. <laughs>
0: It seems to me that there, when I was thinking about this, there's a lot of parallels between like what Rick and Morty does and like what you guys do on Mystery Science Theater 3000. With you know, you've got this nostalgia towards tropey science fiction fantasy stuff, and it feels like you guys are kind of pulling at a lot of the same threads, but at different ends. Because you know, they're pulling from like Star Wars and Star Trek and Battlestar, and you guys are dealing with Doctor like, Who a lot, and a Doctor, and, I you, think and, I... you, and you guys are in like the Mac and Me and Italian Hercules lane. But <laughs> it, it even like, yeah. didn't, it didn't Dan do some? Writing for like the revival series as well?
3: Yeah, yeah. He like, uh, you know, we had a bunch of guest writers on different episodes from the first uh, season back, which is season 11. Uh, yeah, him and uh, Justin and and I think uh, Ryan Ridley and Tom Kaufman also contributed some jokes and right. stuff like that. So yeah, you know, it's, um, it, you, it's weird though because like everything gets, all the jokes just get kind of dumped into this one file. So you don't really know who wrote what or what got into where, you know, which is great because then, you know anytime you're having a conversation with someone and someone brings up a certain riff that they liked you could go yeah that was probably mine
0: <laughs> <laughs> well it sounds like like what they de- because you know we've in part of this project we've gone through like all the behind the scenes and the commentaries and it sounds like that's kind of the way a writer's room or at least the ones that dan 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 runs and, and justin runs that's kind of how they work that everyone kind of pitches in and, they call and it kind of gets reduced to a stew and sure it's assigned to a single writer for the credit but like you know they're just kind of like formalizing everybody's uh, everybody's input and feedback so
3: yeah yeah i mean like writing on a show is just it's um it's important to just have that fun element of everyone in the room together because um you know comedy written by committee can be a good thing because it just everyone's trying to elevate uh, a joke and when you have a bunch of people with the same um sense of humor trying to achieve the best version of it and that's the thing i you know i'm rarely in a writer's room um that where someone gets upset like you know usually it's like everyone everyone kind of agrees you know sometimes someone will have an ego about something go no this is a funnier joke or this is better but for the most part the room will always kind of like you know when when something happens and when something gets to a certain joke the room will decide um, you know, just they'll just feel it, they'll be like, Oh, yeah, that's the best one because that's what everyone's going for. They're not, you know, it's a the ego can get in the way, but at the same time, everyone has the same uh end result.
1: Sounds like you worked in the good writer's rooms, not the bad ones.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's it's you know, it's it all kind of is set up by the boss. Uh, it, it can be maddening, it could be you know, one of those things where. And I've been the boss in some rooms, too, where it's, you, you're hearing stuff and you're kind of going like, no, no, that's not it. That's not it. And everyone's just kind of going, what do you what do you want? You just make it then, you know, which is, uh, you know, something that also like Dan has been uh, pretty famous for us, which is, uh, you know, just kind of, you know, like really just going over and over and over and over things to make sure it's as good as it can be. And to his high standards, which are always pretty great so
0: all this is kind of preamble uh what do you think of the Rickshank Sh- Rick redemption the season season over for season three
3: I was I remember watching it um I remember when I was watching it I was kind of when it premiered I was confused and I, was like, I was like this is like they're starting the season off kind of kind of slow kind of emotional uh which is fine by me but I was just kind of like I was like man you know this is the this is a Highly anticipated season, you know. This is probably the most people tuning into this than the other two seasons premieres. Um, and uh, and then once it gets to um, the big breakout, with the amount of shit going on on screen, and with the amount of story that had been cleverly layered throughout, it's it's such a it's such a feat. Like the amount of stuff, or you could just you know slow it down and just see how many different ricks and bug guys and all these things are just be like there's so much stuff happening like just and just like the just like that you know that little molecule that you know gains uh life and then dies really fast it's like there's a lot of little things going on and the, and the, the animators really knocked it out of the park with that you know huge and battle sequence
1: yeah i'm constantly impressed by them yeah uh the the one thing that this episode taught me is if rick is Showing any emotion, he's manipulating you. He's not actually yes, being genuine.
3: Yeah,
2: well,
3: yeah see, it's it, um, it's really it's crazy because you want to. They just they the the show constantly, uh, like you know you, you start to root for Rick and then you realize oh what was I doing what what a ter <laughs> what a terrible idea why did I feel for him it's it really is just a a test to uh, make sure you know you're being manipulated or you're you're being gaslit. And yet it always works too.
1: It works on me. Every time Rick shows a bit of emotion, I'm like, okay, he's finally opening up. Nah, he closes the door again. It was all simulation. He had control. He was fooling you. It's,
3: yeah. Yeah, You should know. It's funny. I I was just, I was watching that, uh, my friend Dahmer movie, the one based off of that graphic novel. And when you're watching it and you know, Jeffrey Dahmer, it's, it's like him in high school and he starts to kind of get friends and he starts to kind of be embraced. And, You kind of start to go, well, maybe, maybe history, maybe they'll change history. Maybe (laughs) like you almost, you want him, you want it to be okay, and then you know, then it's it's not okay, and that's the thing you got to remember. That's the same feeling with when you're watching Rick. You're like, you're like, maybe he is getting better, but the show wouldn't be the show if he was, at all, a good person.
1: We do have another 70 episodes, so...
0: Yeah, maybe? That's, that's why I
3: keep thinking that, like,
0: <laughs> you know, the people... Because, like, at the end, I felt like they... I maybe got rope-a-dope, but at the end of season two, I felt like he was making some real progress, and he had a setback because, you know, he... he finally opened himself to friendship and love and being happy for his friend and it turned out it was a shamet wedding and it's actually the federations are coming to to kill all of his his buddies and, you know, he has extreme and I I was wondering it's like, you know, that's how like if a person was in therapy and trying to recover from something, it's like it's not like there is this clear climb up the mountain, right? They have setbacks mm, yeah. and they, they, they get wounded and they kind of retreat back to and I just wonder if that's well, do you have a do you have a gut feeling on this, Jonah? Is this is is Rick's arc overall after all 100 episodes he doesn't talk
1: about these things because they might reveal stuff about that's true (laughs) that's true what weird al song says it best
0: if (laughs) (laughs) dare to be stupid
3: yeah (laughs) but yeah that precisely you know it's funny though it's yeah that that thing you were saying that where it's uh maybe he was maybe at the end of season two he was starting to uh you know feel um yeah I think about this the situation. When we were on the last Mystery Science Theater tour, you know, uh, my wife and I, like, we were going city to city. And I was like, let's take these bird or lime scooters around town. You know, she's like, no, no. She was scared. You know, she was nervous about going on them. You know, she, you know, she's like, what if I fall? I'm like, you won't fall. They're really easy. They're really fun. And it's a great way to, like, see these cities that we've never been in. And, you know, we're in Nashville. She won't do it. We're in uh you know uh, Austin she won't do it. and then like find, we're, we find ourselves in uh in uh St. Louis and then she does it and it goes fine and I was like oh and like it was for me I was kind of like ooh see she'll see that her fear was unfounded and it's totally fine and then the next stop we have in is in Memphis and then she's like uh, I was like hey there's some lifesavers there. she's like let's take them I go oh man she's over this irrational fear that something will definitely b- happen that's bad and then She crashes so hard on this Lime scooter. Just literally as we were like rolling up to a restaurant, something happened with the wheel. It hit something and she fell over the handlebars, landed on her chin, scraped the skin off her chin, uh, like busted up her hand, like landed on her hip. Her hip was bruised. And it's one of those things where she ended up being right. now your scheme was undone by the shoddy (laughs) infrastructure of the memphis sidewalks exactly (laughs) exactly and so like it's like the whole thing is uh, a self-fulfilling prophecy so you know rick says he's he, he you know he'll be like it's like it's like no he's you know very nihilistic and then um all for himself and then maybe once he starts feeling it something like that happens like the wedding thing and then it just only ever you know solidifies and calcifies the his thoughts I also like wanted to talk about some of my other favorite uh elements of the episode which uh which was the memories uh displayed outside of Shoney's, um where like there was this thing where I was watching it and then he's like he's like right but you know he's like last time he he sees his wife uh between I can't remember what one of them was and the other one was uh watching 9/11 unfold on <laughs> right. TV. Yeah. And you see him you see him in the background though and he looks like he's distressed and I remember thinking like why would he be distressed and then i uh like it's like it doesn't seem like something and then of course then you hear him in the background going it's like you know he's like he's like this is just an excuse to get us into war right which i right. thought was was just such a like a like a funny thing like in my head i'm like oh rick really cared about what happened to this oh no he's, he's just freaking out because he knows the end result i just thought that's one of my favorite little background elements of that episode for sure yeah. And then,
0: like his, like his see self. It turns out the whole thing made up memories. Mm-hmm. Although it's like I have questions. Yeah. Like, is is it completely made up? Is there is he selling the lie with an element of the truth? That's the that's the interesting thing about the Rubik's cube. That is Rick's emotional and moral state.
3: Yeah, no, it's real. It's real tricky, and the, it's all of it. And to like have known, you know, Justin and Dan for so long now. Um like there's it's hard not to read into every aspect of those characters.
1: <laughs> oh man, I just as a an outside viewer, I do that all the time. I listen to one commentary and I'm like, Oh, Dan feels this way and Dan feels that way. And right. you know, I listen to a Harmontown episode and it's like, I know Dan.
0: But yeah. I've never met him. So those 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 parasocial relationships will like, get you
3: every time. <laughs> they really <laughs> They really will. They really will. But as far as uh, promotion, yeah, the, the, the You Can't Call Me Out, it's available all on uh, the digital platforms all over the place. Uh, you know, Apple and Google and uh, Spotify and whatnot. And then we're doing a second pressing. The first pressing of the vinyl on Asian Man Records sold out, and we're doing a second pressing of it.
1: Nice. Congratulations.
3: Yeah. Thank you. Uh, yeah. That's a, that's all I g- Oh, and if people, uh, people that listen to this probably like uh, Harmon Quest, which is on VRV. Are you which in the new season? No, I'm not in the new season, but my show, uh, Hidden America, which was also on CISO, is now available for free on uh, on VRV, in front of the paywall and everything. Cool. Oh, nice. Two seasons worth of a lot of stuff, yeah. Very cool. Yeah, fake travel show.
0: <laughs> well, jo- Jonah Ray, thanks for taking time out to come on and uh, gush about Rick and Morty with us. We had a lot of fun. Yeah,
3: thanks so much. Appreciate it. Have- thanks for having me. music.
2: I like it. Alright,
0: Jim. Are you ready to plot to the future? I am. This is, of course, where we open up a portal to Dimension BM77 to access behind the scene details, trivia, and spoilers for future episodes. Gonna be running out of these pretty soon. We're about to catch up Mm -hmm. to to the current timeline, in which
1: case, uh, this uh, BM77 probably... Probably thrown oh, probably in, thrown into the garbage portal. <laughs> Savor it while you can, like a fine Szechuan sauce. Savor yeah. it, because it'll be gone soon. Yeah, until the season four Blu-rays come out. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, what did you think about uh, the behind-the-scenes details and,
1: and uh, ties <laughs> I, into future plots? Dude, I looked at the commentary list on this <laughs> thing, and I my brain melted. Yeah. Because there's a commentary. Okay, so the main commentary, you know, it's Dan, Justin, all the people... Yeah work on and, I, yeah. I think it's the name uh, And then it has John Mayer mm-hmm. I was thinking boy that's weird And then I looked down a little bit further And I see a commentary with none of them And just Marilyn Manson and Courtney Love And I was so curious th- at What kind of shit show it would be That I watched it they got a mu- they they intend to have a musical
0: commentary and John Mayer showed up. He's like, I just I I don't want to get in the booth. <laughs> right?
1: Can I do this with you guys yeah. instead? This this recording booth is not a it, wonderland. It, well, I, he... don't want, <laughs> I don't want I don't want any part of it. He made a good choice because that commentary with Marilyn Manson and Courtney Love is Courtney Love barely being a human being on microphone. Okay, for an hour and Marilyn Manson. Making sex jokes and weirdly hitting, coming on to Courtney. Yeah, that's the entire time. That's probably on brand. Real bad. Oof. Like I don't know if they're both. Of course, they're both fucked up. Uh huh. Whether it's from their their long history with drugs and abuse, or whether it's because that day they were fucked. Yeah. I don't know, but. It's because, wow. the, it's because
0: the Starburns Industries has, instead of like a five-gallon water cooler, they have a five-gallon Keitel 1 cooler. <laughs> okay, yeah. Like, you don't even tend to. He's like, can I get some blah, blah? It's, it's Yeah, yeah. Our water's 100 proof here. What, what do you want?
1: Yeah. And then and so when I, I listened to that one first, and then I went back and I was like, okay, all right, John Mayer, <laughs> I, I'm not now. expecting anything from you, but actually John Mayer turned out to be... A really good commentator yeah he I imagine it's about the same
0: point in the time stream he came on the Harmon town um huh, and I'm not sure like i I don't remember why and how they kind of came into each other's orbit. I think they probably explained it and I've forgotten, but I thought that he was a really uh you know game and insightful and 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 kind of funny thoughtful podcast guest, so it didn't surprise me that his uh, commentary track was he 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 added a lot. He did, yeah yeah, he was like, uh you know having like a engaged intelligent fan ask like kind of engaged intelligent fan
1: questions was uh really really smart, yeah, he had um one theory about the the way that Rick and Morty addresses Rick's powers uh and this the family dynamic with those like mm. when he said like in most sitcoms what they do is they have I guess he compared it to like Alf if you you have where if somebody finds out about the things that are happening, right. there's going to be trouble. Right. If if you find out
0: that that, that there's an alien next door, right. the government's going to get involved. Or living in the garage, split whatever. His dick in half.
1: And and Rick and Morty doesn't do that, right? The family is in on it. The family knows what's up. It's just a matter. The of neighborhood
0: like, can observe a UFO landing <laughs> in la- right. in the garage, and it's just like, oh, you know, it'd be like your neighbor pulling up and maybe a Lamborghini, Uh-huh. you know, like, uh, yeah, people notice it, but like, okay, whatever.
1: Yeah. But the, the, with the family dynamic, it's more, it's not about, will the family find out and what will they think when they do? It's more about the specific things that Rick is getting up to. How yeah. will they judge those? And that's far more interesting. Yeah. And it's a choice. It sounds like that they made very early on in the process. Like yeah. how, how aware is the family going to be of what's happening? And, and they, they, came down on what I think is a perfect note and John Mayer states it perfectly in that commentary
0: yeah I wonder if like if Jerry is some of that vestigal because a lot of times he does just react on you know Mm -hmm. they go and oh there's a horrifying alien chained up beneath our garage you know it's like that's a problem for Jerry whereas Beth is willing to entertain well maybe he's being cured of some horrible disease or maybe he's a criminal like it's not like okay it's horrifying alien chained up sure but but I, I need to know the why and the the hows before I'm ready to cast judgment. And
1: maybe you know Beth does supply them a shield in that regard because it's never about like, will Jerry find out? Right. The, yeah. That's not the tension. It's well, it, how will Jerry react. To, you know, the alien chained up in the basement. Yeah, and it's it's not just inside the family,
0: because what I I thought, uh, I think it's Justin that said, this is something that they decided really early on in the writing process of Rick and Morty. It's like, okay, if someone opens up a portal in the high school cafeteria and, Mm -hmm. like, steps through that, that is kind of like riding into the cafeteria on a skateboard like up you know like doing a handstand on a skateboard there is a way to do that where people will be impressed and delighted and want to know more and there's a way to do that where you wreck and you kill the lunch lady and it's a big horrifying embarrassing thing mm-hmm. and that's how people react to the portal is a flashy non-standard way to make an entrance into the roo- a room but you can pull it off a of style. You can do it lamely. You can yeah. do it in a way that would cause fear and anxiety. And that's, yeah. And it
1: doesn't disrupt the entire story when it happens.
0: Right. Like like Rick can just land in his garage, but also Rick could come careening down the street like an asshole doing damage to the houses. And mm-hmm. the, the reaction would be completely separate. But I, I, I like that. And it's it's a nice little nuance
1: that I don't think we had probably gotten had John Mayer not showed up to the studio that day yeah so good for you john mayer uh one of the other things i want to talk about is the idea that this is a very self-referential episode Mm. um and and dan points this out and he says it's something that he kind of wanted to avoid doing because of the the response in fan communities everybody's like i want to check out this rick and morty cartoon i'm going to come in on season three and
0: see what the fuss is and like half of it is what the fuck Right, they're digging up corpses. What
1: you know, and, and there, there's a lot of just implied knowledge that you should have going into this about you, you know the, the old family who'd been left in the Cronenberg universe. Yeah, that that corpse, like you said, in the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think it's hard to judge this as someone who's seen all the episodes because mm-hmm. it really works for me. But I think yeah, if you're somebody new coming into this might be a little harder to get into this episode well that's i think one of the reasons that
0: uh i don't know it's it's interesting because i've heard dan talk about this a lot on the podcast and he like reveres the episodic not episodic is it i always yeah but episodic is this one where it's like golden girls cheers like Mm -hmm. they might have a few long-running arcs but it's basically you can come into any show and within because they use these broad archetypes and situations you can enjoy episode 3 of season 4 of cheers as well as you could episode 1 season 1 probably even more so mm-hmm. because it got better and he like cuz it's like a fundamentally harder like you know if you you have to do everything within that 23 minute we, uh, window and you can't like build big things from it it it's hard and to do it well um and have it be staying power is kind of miraculous and i think he he likes that but it's also one of those things where it's like it's It cuts both ways yep. because it's less accessible, but it, by definition, can't get its hooks sunk as deeply into you because it only has 23 minutes at a
1: time to do it. Yeah, I think it's less rewarding for long-term fans. Uh, I mean, you look at something like uh, one of my all-time favorite shows, Breaking Bad, mm-hmm. and it's real damn hard to jump into that in the middle mm-hmm. because so much of the heavy lifting is done by just how much you know about these characters and the experience you've been through with them. Uh, An episode like The Fly doesn't fucking work. I was just thinking, like, if that's your first, if it's like, oh, god,
0: AMC's having a marathon. I've always heard about
1: this. Let me see. What the fuck? This is trash. They're doing nothing. Why is this entertaining? They've been
0: hunting a housefly for an hour. What the? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And
1: that's one of my favorite episodes because of the baggage. So, like, I I understand, you know, the desire. And, And I think this episode balances both. I think you can enjoy this. Uh, as a new viewer but it's so much more rewarding if you're not a new viewer the good news bad news of this this uh uh,
0: commentary is this how like this is such an excellent premiere and it's so well broken and so thought through but because of that this took them so long and was so stressful that they felt like they were right back in the same situation they were at the end of season 2 where or the beginning of season 2 where it's like we have used so much time writing this one thing. Mm-hmm. Oh god, what are we going to do? And, and Justin was probably climbing the walls to yeah. do something crazy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like he was
1: in season two. Yeah, yeah.
0: So it's like I—that's I, the thing that I—I I, I hate hearing that this is so ag- agonizing and not fun for them to do this amazing thing that we all love. Yeah. Um. And I don't know. It's like it seems like it's maybe a, a, a whole new deal with season four, uh, and they've got all this stuff uh, worked out and. Uh, I, I'm I'm curious to see the commentaries for those because, like, yeah, I just like, oh man, they, yeah, it makes sense though. It makes sense that like getting this right would take so much time.
1: I mean, you're setting the foundation
0: for the rest of the season. Yeah,
1: here you've yeah. got to nail this one. You can, you know, you can skimp on episode two or three or something, but yeah, especially.
0: Especially since this episode had to stand on its own yeah. for like what four, five, six months? Mm-hmm. Like you know, people just obsessively rewatch it and rewatch it and you know it's a lot of a lot of pressure to put on a single episode and it kinda kinda held up.
1: Pickle me this is distributed by Bald Move in association with Starburns Audio. It's produced by Jason Smith and Scott Porch from Starburns and myself Mineron from Bald Move. All music featured on this podcast is from the Rick and Morty soundtrack available from Sub Pop Records. Please subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To discover the many other great shows we do, please check out baldmove.com and starburns.audio. If you appreciate what we do and want to directly support us, consider joining our club at club.baldmove.com to get access to exclusive bonus audio and video features. Finally. You can follow us on your favorite social media at Bald See you next time.